Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Uh, this is actually our 400th episode, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. It's uh, fun to celebrate. I, the Slash Film Cast just had their 500th episode, so we are quickly catching up to them i mean they only spent 10 years we spent you know a year and a couple months so uh it seems fair right yeah i think we'd have we should have just as much of an uh a celebration for our 500th episode as they did yeah two hours some random tuesday or something for us (laughs) and speaking of which i appeared on the slash homecast 500th episode i'll link it in the show notes and we count we each counted down our top five movies of the last 10 years since the slash homecast has been broadcasting so i would recommend go checking that out because i think it's a good episode and it's fun and uh i'm on it and uh to to be honest you know i'm friends with all the hosts uh, of that show I, i talk to dave multiple times a week i you know play board games with jeff uh, I don't see Devinder that often, to be honest. Uh, but uh, like probably many of you out there listening to us, I I am I'm a listener of that podcast. I li- I, I tune in every week, and uh, they 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 even though I don't get to hang out with them, you know, much, they feel like my friends. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it was it was great to. Uh, to be a part of this 500 episodes, uh, to give them a place to shine and to, to be part of uh, the celebration. So uh, check it out. Uh, that will be linked in the show notes. And uh, I wanted to give some plugs to some stuff on the site, uh, including our 25 most anticipated movies of 2019. Uh, we did a podcast uh, last week at this point. I think it was last week uh, mm-hmm. where we did a writer's room trying to decide what the 25 most anticipated movies were. What we didn't do on the air is rank them. And um, so if you want to find out how we ranked those 25 movies, uh, you can go to the site. I'll link it in the show notes. And I will say that it was a bit of a surprise. For instance, uh, none of us 
or I, I think only one movie made all of all six of our top fives. And that movie was not Star Wars and not Avengers Endgame. So uh You'll you'll see that movie in the top five. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a shakeup, a bit of interesting ranking there. So I, I check that out. Uh, ben, I know you wanted to plug something that's on the site right now. Yeah, Joshua Meyer wrote a really great piece about the films of M. Night Shyamalan. Glass is coming up, and even though the early buzz for that movie is not great, I think it's a really good time to go back and sort of uh, take a look at M. Night Shyamalan, his legacy as a filmmaker, what he's done so far, and that's what this article does. And um, I, I'm a big fan of The Village, and there's a really interesting parallel that he draws in this article between The Village and Iron Man 3, and I'll just leave that as a tease because I've never considered those two movies uh, in any sort of parallel scenario before, but um, this article draws that parallel. So check it out. It's it's in the show notes as well. I want to plug Now Scream This, or rather the latest entry to Now Scream This, which is Chris Evangelista's and Matt Donato's bi-weekly horror column where they um, recommend all sorts of horror films, niche and mainstream and the like. Uh, this week is kind of a grab bag of all kinds of movies. There's 90s horror gems, re- the best Resident Evil movie, uh, and the greatest um, horror comedy. So uh, if you have a theory for that, that what well, that is, you should check it out on our site. Very curious what the great, greatest horror comedy of all time is. But you'll have to check out that article. All three of those are linked in the show notes. Let's jump into the news. And by the way, I should say yesterday, I think I said that we were doing a writer's room episode today. That got pushed to, to tomorrow because what we didn't uh, remember is Brad is traveling today. So we wanted to have him on that episode. So that will happen tomorrow. Today we have some news and we got some big news. Let's start off with something that broke after we recorded yesterday. And that is that uh, director Jason Reitman has signed on to make a new Ghostbusters movie, a sequel to the 1989 Ghostbusters 2. So this will be in that original chronology and not uh, uh, in the, uh, you know, the new one that was by Paul Feig. Uh, Ben, what is going on here? Yeah, this was totally unexpected, but apparently Jason Reitman, who has directed movies like Young Adult and Tully, has secretly been working on a Ghostbusters sequel for a little while now. He is co-writing the movie with a guy named Gil Keenan, who is the director of a film called Monster House that I'm sure, Peter, you're going to bring up in just a minute. Um, but in, in terms of like the very base information that we have, it's still a little early. We know Sony is aiming for a summer 2020 release date for this new Ghostbusters movie. And as you mentioned, it's not going to have any relation to the all-female Ghostbusters movie that came out in 2016, but it is instead going to be a a sort of a a sequel to Ghostbusters 2. Uh, Jason Reitman told Entertainment Weekly, he said, this is the next next chapter in the original franchise. It is not a reboot. What happened in the 80s happened in the 80s, and this is set in the present day. So yeah, this is totally unexpected, but uh, what do you guys think about Jason Reitman directing a Ghostbusters movie? Um, I'll start things off. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there that I think it, it would be an obvious choice, like, uh, you know, an Edgar Wright, Taika Waititi, like, you know, those comedy directors, uh, Jason Reitman. And there would be people that are like the bad choice, like the Brett Ratners of the world. <laughs> um, I think Jason Reitman, it doesn't fall into either of those categories. He he is he might not excite uh, you know, general audiences as a name because they probably haven't seen most of his work. But I think he's an interesting choice. And I, I'm excited to see what he does here. I mean, I'm also a big fan of Jason Reitman's comedic work, especially if you go back to his early films, and even his short films, like In God 
uh, we trust. And, uh, you know, Juno, thank you for smoking. Um, I know in recent years he's gotten a little bit more dramatic and, uh, you know, that's good. Uh, some of those movies have connected for me. Some of them have not, just like you guys. But I do feel like he, you know, does inherit that comedic gene from his father. And uh, if he can get the right people in place, this could be something special. He definitely has a good sense of uh, human character d- dynamics in his films and uh, bringing a depth uh, t- to that kind of stuff uh, th- that might be interesting to bring to the Ghostbusters world. What, uh, HD, what are your thoughts? I actually quite like Jason Reitman as a director. I really like his dramedies and his um, approach to, yeah, that sort of like more human approach to comedies. But I can see why this would be a controversial choice because he's not quite as zany as uh, filmmakers like Edgar Wright or Taika Waititi, um, and which is a sort of that the they kind of capture more of that vibe of the Ghostbusters franchise. But I wouldn't. I would be happy to see like Jason Reitman's approach and see like him do something different with Ghostbusters rather than what we expect. Um, so we'll see. I um, I'm intrigued by this more like I think it's like a teen led yeah. uh, version of Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, uh, Boris Kitt from The Hollywood Reporter said that the main characters are going to be four teenagers, two boys and two girls. And we're not sure if the original cast, you know, Bill Murray, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson are going to reprise their roles from the first two movies. It's still too early to know that. But uh, it sounds like if they do, they're going to be in sort of supporting roles. Uh, I think Ivan Reitman, who uh, we should mention also is Jason Reitman's father. He directed the first two Ghostbusters movies, said that this is going to be sort of like a passing of the torch kind of thing. So, um, mm. Peter, do you want to talk about Gil Keenan, the co-writer of this? Yeah. Um, well, firstly, uh, I, Chris in our Slack channel, uh, when this came up, was saying how he thinks that they saw that episode of Stranger Things where the, the kids are dressed in Halloween, you know, in their Ghostbuster suits and mm-hmm. that this sparked this idea. And I, I can totally see that. Um, and that, that would worry me if it wasn't for the involvement of Gil, who directed uh, a film called Monster House, a 2006 uh, mm-hmm. animated film. He uh, directed it. It was based on the screenplay by Dan Harmon. If you haven't seen this, it's it, it was released um, – I think it was an Amblin Entertainment, like, Image Movers movie. And it really captured that, like, Amblin-esque uh, kind of thing before. I, I know a lot of films are doing that nowadays, but this did it way before then. And, uh, you know, it was about these kids that, like, went into this – that, you know, the scary house on the street. And it's a really an enjoyable uh, animated movie that I feel like a lot of people missed. And uh, – they they also released a teaser trailer for this Ghostbusters movie online to excite fans, and I feel like watching that 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 reminds me of the Explorers. It totally seems like a a nod to the Explorers teaser trailer. If you haven't seen, it's one of the best teaser trailers of all time, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but uh, do we know anything else about this? I think that's it at that this is point. Um, yeah, I do want to say I've also seen Monster House, and that was a movie that also surprised me I didn't really I went to not really expecting much from the movie but um, in addition to being quite cinematic like the way that it's shot is very just like stylized it's a good solid like uh, children's adventure that is a little bit scarier than you would expect because there's a quite there's some body horror in there <laughs> it gets a little dark at times so um, yeah I, I, I am a little bit more like curious now after hearing that the screenwriter of that film is going to be yeah. working on the new Ghostbusters. 
I mean, I know a lot of people online are kind of criticizing, like, I don't know, there seems to be this weird love-hate with right, uh, I, uh, with um, Jason Reitman from really? criti- from critics, I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's a bit of the film critic world that doesn't like him. Um, but, uh, you know, his best movies have been made with um, female screenwriters. Like the Diablo yes. Cody, um, and this is a male screenwriter. Um, uh, and uh, some people are kind of, I, I feel upset that this, you know, that this basically seems like Sony is kind of concluding the female Ghostbusters world that was set up uh, with Paul Feig uh, a couple years back. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think it was, I remember Brad on the site wrote this whole article of how the, that Ghostbusters film should have been connected to the the previous Ghostbusters movies, and it felt like because of that, like it felt like that hurt the movie. I'll actually link that article in the show notes. Um, but I almost feel like there is a way that you can connect all the stories together in a way, like a satisfying way. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm a big fan of the Ghostbusters movies. I I HD, you were born after the second one even came out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I only saw, I've only seen the first Ghostbusters movie and I saw it in college. So, and I thought it was fine. I feel like a lot of the comedy was very heavily um, based on like the SNL sort of personas by a lot of the actors in that cast. And that I understand why people like it so much, but I feel like that nostalgia around that movie is kind of the driving force of why people are so defensive around this franchise. Um, yeah. So that might be an un- a very controversial opinion. I'm sorry, but I thought it was it was good. It was fine. It was a solid comedy, and I I it's just um the the comedy is kind of I don't know not my Dated? style I guess. Oh. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, I a few years ago at LACMA I saw Jason Reitman direct a live uh, script read of Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, starring a cast that included like Seth Rogen and I think Kirsten Bell and a bunch of other people. And it was interesting to see how much of the stuff that people love from Ghostbusters that was not in that shooting script. It was totally mm. improv on set by Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and pe- people like that. And I feel like, uh, I feel like Jason Reitman really needs to find some people that can can do that kind of magic on set. Uh, ben, what is your relationship with Ghostbusters? Uh, I also, I mean, I grew up loving the original. Um, I, I probably have only seen Ghostbusters 2 like once or twice, and I really liked the 2016 movie. So I, I'm like, I'm not near the super fan that like Brad is, for example. Um, but I'm curious to see what happens here. I'm personally, I'm really hoping that Jason Reitman gets uh, Charlize Theron in there as a the new Ghostbuster because he's worked with her so many times and they seem to have a really great working relationship. And that would just be awesome to see her like suited up with a proton pack on her back. I feel like that would be pretty great. I'm here for this. Um, okay, uh, let, let's move on and let's talk about some Disney uh, live action adaptations of animated classics. And let's start first with Hunchback of the Notre Dame. H.E., uh, you wrote about this for the site. What do we know? Yeah, so The Hunchback of Notre Dame is the next uh, Disney animated film that's going to be getting the live action treatment. Although it will uh, allegedly be be based mostly on the Victor Hugo novel that was published in 1831 and not 
uh, mostly just the 1996 Disney film. So this is going to be a live action musical that will simply be titled Hunchback. And it will be uh, written by playwright David Henry Huang, who wrote the Tony winning musical M Butterfly. And uh, with music and lyrics by Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, who also wrote the songs for the 1996 film and went on to collaborate for uh, the stage production that was only staged in Berlin, didn't ever go to Broadway, but that ran from 1992 to 2002. So um, this is, um, is in development and is reportedly eyeing uh, Josh Gad for the lead role, though no casting is currently uh, set in stone right now. Uh, sorry, I just realized I made a pun about Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> stone gargoyles. I, I feel like uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame it was a Disney animated film that like came out probably during my high school years when I was like, you know, being like Disney films are for kids. <laughs> and I, I never, you know, I saw it once, but I don't have any love for it. Uh, ben, do you have any love for this film? Uh, yeah, this one came out at a weird time for Disney animation. I think they were sort of in a sort of a down period. Um, Actually, that is not true. It came <laughs> during the Disney Renaissance, which which lasted from The Little Mermaid in 1989 until Tarzan in 2000 one i think so in that period that we got all these great disney classics but no one uh, ever talks about this movie no one ever talks about it because it was one of the lesser loves of the many disney classics that came out during this time period so it's you're wrong about the time period being a downturn but it is kind of like a a blip it's like a black sheep of the disney renaissance (laughs) because i feel like when you go to disneyland like you don't even see you know anything from hunchback like represented in like you know world of color or like character appearances or definitely not rides like it seems like that the legacy of that film has almost been erased but there was a directed to video sequel that came out that um oh, there was quasimodo there was yeah, directed video me. sequels of everything back in that there day. was that's true but yeah it's it's definitely one that doesn't have quite the um the following that all the other disney uh, animated movies of that time period came has um, but it's I definitely think it's because it's a much darker movie. But sorry to interrupt you, Ben. Keep going. No, no, you're right. And and I was just looking at the list. And for me, I think that's like uh, Pocahontas is like the the last like really solid one there. And this this movie it came out in 1996 and sort of began a little bit of a slide like Hercules came after it. And I don't really think people talk about that movie. I know Mulan was after that. And that was like a, a bit of a uh, an improvement again. But then, you know, there's a lot of forgettable movies in like the Walt Disney animation yeah. uh, oeuvre from the early 2000s and late 90s. So, yeah. Um, I yeah, think this was I, I part mean, of a slump in the Renaissance. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it was it was leading into it for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know about that. Like Peter, what do you think about this? I don't. I, I'm I, like I, Josh Gad, really. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's the least surprising thing because Disney just loves Josh Gad. Like he's a part of everything. Like since Frozen, he's been in uh, what he was in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, he's casting a bunch of Disney stuff I, that I can't name off the top of my head because I did not look this up. But um, he's, he's, I don't know, Disney loves to align themselves with certain stars, and you'll see them in a lot of their, their films. Uh, I'm not sure. Josh Gad, for me, is better in small quantities. He's better as kind of like the side uh, 
comic relief guy and not mm-hmm. the star. And uh, I, I hate saying that because uh, he follows the site. He reads the site. He might even hear this. But uh, but I really think that that's where he shines. And um, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, I, I feel like he can get annoying when it's. Uh, I, I think he is not totally suited towards the lead role for this film. Um, if they're going to go in the direction that I am just like thinking that they're going to go in based on nothing. Um, but the, this film, the animated film was surprisingly dark for the, for the time because we had, you know, some darker moments, but for the most part, they're a little bit more family friendly, but Hunchback of Notre Dame, for example, has one song where the villain Frollo just like lusts over Esmeralda and then decides that he's going to kill her because she won't return his like, his like sexual, um, approaches so it's it's really dark and it gets like and of course there's like burning and death and everything so um and the victor hugo novel is even darker so if they're going to be basing this film based off of the um the victor hugo novel i don't really know how josh gad would fit into this because he's a little bit more of like the jovial um again like comedic type um i could see him as like maybe one of those stone gargoyles that that uh follow quasimodo around but not as the lead character who is quite tragic despite being you know the disney protagonist and this is like a strange project for them like i realize they probably have you know the ip and like maybe even the the hugo novel might even be in like public domain at this point um but like is this the thing that they really want to put their energy and resources into like who is going to, you know, get hyped for a, a live action hunchback of Notre Dame movie in 2020 or whenever it comes out. It just seems like a weird decision for them. Well, they have such a huge back catalog, but yeah, I mean, it's based on that back catalog and so far they're, they've had huge success with ad- ad- uh, adapting these animated films to live action. Um, uh, but to to, to uh, HG's point of seeing Josh Gad in this movie, I feel like – I know it's a cliche, but I feel like most com- comedy actors, they want to do a, a, a big dramatic role. So mm-hmm. I could totally see someone like Josh Gad wanting to, you know, stretch his legs and be, you know, the star of this film. But, uh, uh, you know, we should talk about another Disney live action animated adaptation, and that is Pinocchio – which uh, has lost its director. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so Seamus McGarvey, who is a cinematographer, just in a a new interview said that, uh, I don't think it's a secret anymore, but the film has been canceled over the holidays, over Christmas. And he's talking about the live-action Pinocchio movie that uh, Disney is working on. Uh, Paul King, who I think wrote and directed both of the Paddington movies, or at least co-wrote both of them, was hired to direct this film last year. And uh, McGarvey said in this interview that uh, Paul King wanted me to be his DP on the film, but uh, the director basically pulled out of the film for family reasons. Disney are trying to find a new director. They're trying to get it going, but I'm unlikely to be involved now. So that's our first knowledge that Paul King is no longer involved with this project. Uh, Sam Mendez, who directed Skyfall, was attached initially, but he ended up leaving in 2017. So maybe this frees Paul King up to return to the director's chair for yes. Paddington 3, which would be kind of amazing. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, this is another one that, like, Pinocchio, the animated movie, is pretty dark and very weird, and I'm not entirely convinced that it's going to translate well in live action. 
Um, I, I understand again that Disney has the IP on this, uh, but I don't know. Do you guys think that there's potential, especially with like Guillermo del Toro doing his uh, long-held passion project of the of a stop-motion version of Pinocchio for Netflix? Do you think that Disney is going to be able to uh, to produce something memorable here? I'm interested in a live-action version of Pinocchio, but not from the direction that angle is that that disney is uh, approaching their live action movies uh if that makes sense i am totally all in with the guillermo del toro version but i'm not sure how wait the wait, wait, wait i gotta interrupt here you don't like uh the what john favreau is doing with his adaptations i feel like not all of them are hit like i did not like beauty and the beast but i feel like jungle book was 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 uh i don't know i, I really enjoyed it it's jungle book was Good. <laughs> wow. Riding that fine line between the word fine and good. I love it. Um, but Pinocchio is a whole is a very different story than um than the jungle book. And I think that it has potential for a really interesting uh film and really dark and weird film. Um and I really like actually I remember being traumatized by the animated film as a kid, but I quite like what they were doing there and how bold what risks they were taking. But um, I don't know if, like, Disney, as they're doing now with their live-action films, could deliver a good Pinocchio live-action movie. I mean, the one thing that they can bring to it that, that you know, uh, Guillermo can't is they have that, that the songs from that original mm. movie. So, I mean, I guess it's going to be a musical. I mean, that if it wasn't, I would be shocked. But, uh, I mean, Paul King w- was a good... Uh, leap, uh, you know, it's a good uh, person to have involved with something as whimsical as uh, that story. But without him, I'm wondering who they could get that would be as exciting. Ben, do you have any yeah, ideas? I don't. And I'm wondering if they might even like end up reworking this into something for the Disney Plus streaming service. Like, what do you think, Peter? Do you think that if they don't find somebody soon that, uh, that there's a chance that they that it goes to that streaming service? Or do you think that's they're like all in for bringing this one to theaters? What I think the thing is, uh, Bob Iger has already said that they're not going to be making $100 million movies for Disney Plus streaming service. They are making that Lady and the Tramp um, live action movie. But I think that actually is using correct me if i'm wrong i'm i i feel like hd wrote this article that they're using live action like animals yes they the, are yeah, they're yeah. using live dogs so that like basically they're just going to probably be replacing the mouse and the face like we've seen in all those commercials and stuff um so like that makes it cheaper i feel like a pinocchio movie you couldn't do a live action pinocchio movie for under 100 million dollars because you you have to basically animate like i don't know it would look really cheap if it's like a practical live action Pinocchio, right? Like you need to have like an animated Pinocchio in a live action world. I would yeah. assume. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay. Let's move on to some other stuff because, uh, we, we have a lot to talk to talk, talk about today. Uh, let's talk about, um, Apple because, you know, they're trying to get into the streaming game and they have announced their first, uh, original movie, which is in conjunction with a 24. And for, you know, we've been hearing for a long time, that Apple's looking for PG entertainment for families. I am shocked by this. HT, what is going on here? Yeah, so Sofia Coppola will be directing the first Apple original film. It's going to be a film called On the Rocks, a father-daughter drama, which will reunite her with her Lost in Translation star, Bill Murray, um, and also star Rashida Jones as the daughter in this drama. And uh, yeah, it's a 
it's a collaboration between A24 and Apple, uh, which was a deal that they struck last year uh, in, in November and will be the first, this will be the first of um, many films under A24 and Apple. So, um, yeah, I, I had the same thought with as you did when um, I, I was writing up this story because uh, Sofia Coppola isn't quite known for family-friendly dramas. I, I don't think she's ever done a PG, PG movie or G movie. And um, she, be doing this film under Apple kind of suggests that it won't be under their whole family-friendly stance uh, that will ban sex violence or risque content so maybe um i wonder if this will only apply to uh their tv shows their their whole family friendly stance and not their original films ben does this make you excited finally for apple's uh tv service yeah do we know like whether or not this is going to be i mean we don't know anything about the rating right but just like it it just because of the people involved <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be more of a, a sort of an adult kind of thing is that right is that we're ju- we're just sort of like making that leap yeah just based on the people involved because the okay. Coppola is just yeah it's a, definitely a little bit more of an adult director yeah i agree sense. and i mean she's made some some really great stuff and then some stuff that i've found like uh, almost unwatchable <laughs> at the same time so I, I i'm very mixed on her as a director but uh bill murray and rashida jones that's an exciting pairing they work together in um a very murray christmas which came out in 2015 <laughs> if you guys remember on that Netflix. yeah I yeah know. um so, yeah, seeing those guys work together and, and or those actors work together, I, I think th- there's definitely some promise there. Again, I'm still like uh, very curious to see how Apple ends up, you know, releasing all of this stuff. They've, they've talked a little bit about how some of the stuff's going to be available on Apple devices. Like, you know, are we going to be seeing this in movie theaters uh what's their approach going to be are they going to be you know maybe just releasing it straight to itunes and having people pay for it Uh, what do you think their strategy is like peter i don't i don't know what their strategy is i don't know what they're doing they should just bought netflix when they could have afforded it um i i will say this that i loved 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 sofia coppola's first couple films like virgin suicides i you know i still watch lost in translation was my favorite of that year uh i love bill murray i watch him in anything like i feel like he elevates and makes any even if he's not even if the movie's not good he elevates like he's worth seeing it, he makes the movie worth seeing, and uh, I'm 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 curious about this film. I'm curious what Apple is doing, but uh, you know, until we know more, it's it's hard to speculate <laughs> on this one. So we should probably move on because we we, we got a, so much to cover here, and I know uh, there's been some discussion online of how long this podcast should run. Uh, so we're, we're going to try to keep it short. Uh, but let's, I, I do want to talk about the Star Wars news. Because Adam Driver recently gave an interview where he basically said that he know he was told where Star Wars Episode Nine would end up before even beginning filming on Star Wars The Force Awakens. Ben, what do we know? Yes. Yeah, so in an interview with Deadline, Adam Driver said with Girls, the HBO show that he was on, there wasn't really an end in sight. So it was fun to develop it as, as I went and to think about where it was all going. With Star Wars, I had one piece of information of where it was all going. And that's where it has been in my head for a long time. And things were building towards that. So that set off like a ton of alarm bells for us <laughs> of like, wait, what the hell is yeah. going on here? He knows what's happening because, you know, we've, we've talked to Ryan Johnson a lot, the writer director of Star Wars The Last Jedi, about how he was essentially 
essentially given a blank a blank slate um, when he came into that sequel. And J.J. Abrams may have had some ideas, but he didn't dictate them to, so it, it, to Ryan Johnson. So it seemed like he sort of had the freedom to work on that movie however he saw fit. But now that J.J. Abrams is back in the driver's seat for the upcoming Star Wars Episode Nine, it seems like he's probably going to want to incorporate any of those early ideas that he may have had to round out this trilogy so um maybe it's just a case of like everything working out (laughs) working (laughs) out great everything coming up abrams i guess yeah no i think it is good that he's finishing this chap uh finishing finishing the story that he started because um you know we might get a you know a good conclusion even though he wasn't involved in the second uh, second chapter um i my immediately, my immediate thought on this is that Abrams wouldn't have told him anything unless it was something involving his character. So my, my four theories on what he's talking about is he either knows Kylo's fate, you know, if he ends up redeeming himself, if he ends up dying or whatever. I think that might be a possibility. I, I the, actually the the biggest one. And I know you guys are going to groan at this. Is I think he knows that Ray is his sister. I th- I think that I think that's what he it was told by by uh Abrams. I could be wrong Ooh. there. I know, I know. Um but <laughs> I, I I also do think that it was what Abrams was going for in the beginning. And if you watch uh that film and especially, you know, Kylo's that line he says uh what girl and uh stuff that uh he seems to know something about her that we don't know. Uh and uh, thirdly, well, I think, for all the Raylo shippers, I know, uh, <laughs> I, well, I don't think they're going to get together no matter what anyways, but, um, I, I, it could also have something to do with Snoke, even though he's dead, maybe oh, they, yeah. we could learn something about him. I, I mean, I know that's getting nerdy and the, the people think that we're probably going to go past him, but I think there's going to be something to do with him in this, uh, final chapter. And the third, th- uh, fourthly, I think the Knights of Ren. Could come, they should come back because, I mean, they mention them and then it's never mentioned again. But um, I, I'm betting on its uh, its Ray's heritage. Uh, what would you, HD? What do you? What is your bet? What is my sorry? I'm what? What is your bet? Like, what do you think he's talking about here? Do you do you think it's any of those <sighs> items? I mean, I have the sinking suspicion that you're probably right. I just, I hope it's not that that case because I like the idea of Ray being coming from nothing and being a nobody and rising to be a hero anyways. But um, considering what the, the seeds that JJ Abrams planted in force awakens, I do get the feeling that that'll be the case. Ben, how about you? I'm right there with HT. I, I just remember that uh, when Matthew Fox, who was the star of Lost, said for years that he knew how the show was going to end. And it turns out that all he really knew was the last shot of the show, which is a, a close up of his character's eye closing, which is a mirror of the opening shot of the series. So it, it turns out he didn't really know that much. So I'm hoping that Adam Driver just knows, you know, some slight insignificant detail that everything is building towards and not necessarily a huge reveal like that, um, because I would be very disappointed if that's what ends up happening but like hc i also have that sinking feeling i feel like that might actually come true well you also have to think about it why would jj tell him this thing unless it's like you know he's sharing these scenes with ray he has these lines like that you know what girl and stuff like that maybe it has to be something he needs to know to have that performance do you know what i mean right yeah I, i don't know that's that's my suspicion i could be wrong uh but 
we have reached the end of today's Slash Film Daily. HT, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Ben, where can we find more of your work? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. You can find me at Slash Home on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes, including those features we mentioned at the start. Uh, this podcast, Slash Home Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or life advice from Chris to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, hopefully, we'll be getting to that again soon now that we're past all the, the end-of-the-year features. And please head over to our iTunes page give us a five-star review tell your friends spread the word we'll see you tomorrow